Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Thank you for listening to this Billy Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go Billy Up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, being a black athlete in the late 19th and early 20th century took a strength I can't even begin to understand. Yet, there are plenty of success stories during the reintegration of pro football in spite of the odds against them. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, it's Tuesday. I have my papers. Yes, not a lot of them. <laughs> not as much noise. Uh, we're ready. NFL historians, lovers of sports history and just overall history for that matter. Welcome in. This show is for you and not for those who already know this stuff. Move on. No, it's not for you guys. You can kick rocks with no shoes and have bleeding toes. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we're here to do three things. Enlighten, teach, and learn. I'm not too big. Please, please. I'm a humble guy. It is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by... Billy Up Sports, the Billy Up Sports Podcast Network. BillyUpSports.com is where you can find, where you can find all of our shows, all the great content, the writers that we have. And Spreaker is our home base for all of our podcasts and our shows, but also Apple Podcasts. Most of you guys use that. Spotify, a lot of people use that. Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and also YouTube is where you can find our visual shows as well as our audio shows. So, all right, getting right to it. Uh, yeah, Tom Brady. Man, this guy, it's a drug. I'm sorry, I got to say this first. It is a drug. This guy cannot get off of it. He's like Pookie. From New Jack City. Just be calling me, man. Football. Just be calling me. Be calling me, man. He can't he can't do it. He's he was he couldn't last two months. He laid up in his bed, probably in cold sweats, shivering. You know, and Giselle is like, Tom, what's wrong? He's like, football. It's 
God, I can't. I have to go back. I wonder what she said. I, hopefully, she's for this. <laughs> I really hope that his marriage doesn't end because of this. But, I mean, he's doing what he loves. And if you can keep doing it, you know, practice isn't exactly hard anymore. You don't exactly get hit anymore. So, you keep doing it. And he's going to be, what, 44? Going on 45 in his 23rd NFL season. Uh, and as a Steelers fan, we picked up Mitchell Trubisky. All right. Yeah. All right, moving on. All right, so uh, I picked up another new book, and I just keep piling them on and piling them on, and um, it's really, really great information. Um, it's called Outside the Lines. Uh, it's African Americans and the Integration of the National Football League, and it's written by Charles K. Ross. Uh, not that old of a book, I believe, and I got it right here in front of me uh, as far as the year that it dropped. 1999 not that old but it's got a lot of great information in there and some stories um that I haven't even began to really you know really get into the middle of the book just yet um but I mean it, it's a great book and what we've been speaking about and speaking on what the last I'm guessing it's been four shows now three four shows uh we've continued our black history month all the way through March Next week, I'm going to button this thing up. I mean, we have plenty of other years to do this. Black History Month. We can't try to squeeze all of it, you know, just in a couple of shows in a couple of weeks. It'd be different if I was doing a show every day. I don't do a show every day. I record it on Tuesday, and it's out on Wednesday morning. But it's just so much out there, and I'm not going to get to everything. I, I know I'm not. Um, but in just reading it, so first of all, I have to say, uh, that there was an answer that was right in front of me all along. Of course, we talked about, you know, the NFL from 1920 to 1933. There were only 13 players that were black that actually were in the National Football League. Of course, it wasn't officially that until 1922, the APFA, the American Professional Football Association, before they changed its name in 1922 to the NFL, right? So, I mean, and then I re I'm reading the Black Bruins and – the author there, uh, James Johnson, mentioned that there were 17 professionals, you know, at that point. I'm like, who's he talking about? Who's these extra four guys? Boy, I'm dumb. I mean, we listed them last week. We, we listed the 13. And I feel so dumb. Um, so he was adding the first four. <laughs> the first four, the actual, you know, professionals before the NFL were, of course, Charles Follis. Doc Baker, Henry McDonald, and Charles Smith. Actually, he's known as Charles Smith, but his first name is actually Gideon Smith. Uh, all these men played between, what, 1902 and 1919. The NFL, of course, hadn't officially began until 1920, but that's the four that makes up the 17. Now, of course, I'm reading this new book, um, which I've skipped around a little bit. It highlights the early black professional athletes kind of at the beginning, and just how much they were involved in like the the 1800s before basically, let's just be honest, whites made efforts to shut them out. And these are 19th and early 20th century sports that included horse racing and baseball and bicycling and boxing, as well as football. Uh, I mean, I had no idea that there were so many black jockeys. I mean, one day we'll, we'll maybe we'll kick that around a little bit, but man, it was just a lot of 
pe- lot of people that are a lot of different uh, sports that were African-Americans and we probably don't even know know who they are unless you're a historian of those uh, specific sports. You have no idea who they were. But these black athletes, they're doing great things at that time and setting records and all, but they were a threat. And when those sports were threatened by having too many African-Americans, they were cut off. And you talk about the first four. These men, like Fowler's and Baker and McDonald and Smith, they played in an era of professional football when it wasn't really thought much about yet. I mean, nobody knew these people, right? It wasn't a sport, which we talked about, that was very popular. It was all about professional baseball and college football. We've said this over and over again. And college coaches, as well as some fans, really talked down on professional football. Why would you want to do that? Why would you even watch that? And I also told you, you need to go watch the movie Leatherheads. Um, while collegiate football was played in front of hundreds of thousands of fans, pro football was played by maybe not even 100 people. And it was on farms and cow pastures and local high schools, stuff like that. Guys may or may not have been paid for their services. And this was professional football. Professional football, you get paid for, right? Some of these guys probably didn't even get their money. Some franchises left and right, they folded. Even in the early days of the NFL, they folded because they couldn't pay everybody. They couldn't keep the salary. They couldn't pay to do these things. And they had to sell their teams or they just had to disband them. It was just part of the world. Um, but once pro football became at least a little bit popular, though, African-Americans, like all the sports before it, they were literally blackballed from 1933 to 1946. And 46 comes around. And then you have the reintegration of pro football that got started. And we've talked about this over the past couple of shows. And I get it with those uh, just just call the owners or the GMs and, 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 the, and the head coaches. They want the best players. But sometimes not even that was enough to get everyone in the pros to integrate their teams. Slowly but surely, most of the National Football League started to integrate. But there were teams during certain years that had no blacks. Of course, um, please excuse me, the then Washington Redskins will just Keep calling them the Washington football team. I I can't say commanders yet. Their owner, you know, George Preston Marshall, refused to employ African-Americans. We'll get on him next week. Um, He didn't want want any African-Americans on any of his teams during all those years. And after the AAFC folded, you know, the league that started up in 1946 and had those teams that ended up. Um, after they folded the last season in 1949, three of his teams merged into the NFL while the rest of their teams were basically dissolved and their players, for the most part, were split up among the rest of the league. That's if they decide to keep them. Hint, hint. Uh, You had, who was the three? It was the Cleveland Browns, the San Francisco 49ers, and just so we're clear, the first incarnation of the Baltimore Colts. Not the Baltimore Colts you would know going forward. I believe their colors were actually green. At the time. And then you also had an incarnation, just to throw this in there. We talk about the 1960s when the AFL had started up and you had the first Dallas Texans, which we know now are the Kansas City Chiefs. Even that team had a first incarnation around that time uh, going into, what, the 50s. But anyway, um, 
they split those those other players out and they merged with the NFL and they actually gave the NFL an odd number of teams, which was 13, six in the American division as it was in seven in the national in 1950. But over the past three shows, we've highlighted a few of those most significant African-Americans, some that simply played, whether it was a year or two years or three or whatever, you know, um, and then others that ended up going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That entered the NFL, you know, by 1946. Now you had Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Bill Willis, and Marion Motley. The last two ended up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, Kenny Washington, they seven years too late. Woody Strode actually was brought in, you know, just really to be a roommate, right? Eminent Tunnel, Tank Younger, George Talafaro, Tunnel and Younger ended up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Talafaro bounced around, but he played for about seven years. Wiley Triplett only lasted three. Dan Towler played for, what, six years and was the was one of the best running backs in the NFL. Uh, and then also Roosevelt Brown, or Rosie Brown, who played with the uh, with the New York Giants, who ended up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. One, probably the best right tackle, excuse me, left tackle, that ever played one of one of the best okay especially by the time he retired from 46 to 1950 there were a total of 33 blacks that were in pro football no new t- new no new players came in were drafted or signed in 1951 but those numbers begin to grow even more from 52 to 55 by 1958 there were as many as 50 black players in the NFL on these rosters. Of course, there was only one team, none with Washington football team. But that was a serious boost. In 1949, go all the way back to that last season of the AAFC, that league had a total of 12 blacks. The NFL, five. You do the math, all right? Add those together. I think that's really interesting, uh, just how backwards, and I'm just gonna be honest, how deviously minded some owners and presidents, even the head coaches were at the time. I'm not saying all of them. I, and, and let me say this too. I'm not saying that everybody was racist, you know, that were, you know, white and that were, some of them, I'm be honest with you, they just kind of had to go with the flow, which is, you should be ashamed of yourself, you know, but if they did have the exact same mindset of, as George Preston Marshall, who was racist, then a lot of these guys would never have had a chance. But then two, competition. If you can help me win, that's gonna put butts in the seats and with butts in the seats means money in my pocket. You know, it's, it's a nice business deal. We give you an opportunity. So, you know, you got those who, that's, that was their mindset. You're gonna help our football team and we can help you, we'll pay you to play the sport. Of course, there was still some stipulations and treatment that was just, it was just terrible. Um, but sometimes I have to ask my own self, who could I have trusted, you know, as a black man, if I was then, if I played then? We mentioned a couple of players that were on rosters last week, not really going into a lot of details about their career. One player was Robert Mike, or known as Bob Mike, who played I think it was offensive and defensive tackle with the San Francisco 49ers. And the other was Bob Mann, that's M-A-N-N, who played with the Detroit Lions. It is to be noted that just because you made the league didn't mean you got to stay in the league, even if you were good. 
Bob Mike was an offensive tackle with the 49ers in 48 and 49. And according to Charles Ross's book, Mike actually had become the first black scout in the NFL on July 15, 1950. And he was tasked with basically scouting the South and the East to look for other black players. Bring some more of those guys in here, please. But then he was released. Might as well say fire. Why? He was seen walking on the field during practice with a very light-skinned black woman. Now, the 49ers owner, Tony Borbito, thought that she was white. That's how, you know, how, how light-skinned she was. As... <laughs> People would call you know, high yellow. You know, <laughs> I've been called that a lot, even though I'm not that light. But, uh, but he had a problem. Morabito had a problem with him walking with this woman. I don't know exactly what was going on, and it doesn't even go into detail. And I've read this in several different places, that in multiple places about this incident, and it happened. And that this is again, you have a black man and. Uh, a, a owner whose mindset is obviously hey he's walking with a white woman it couldn't have been that simple but then too maybe it was remember the times okay i don't know how many of y'all are um very let's just say if y'all are familiar with what happened in those times um emmett till supposedly whistled at a white woman it got him beat to death and shot up and thrown into a lake and he was a what a 12 year old kid something like that 14 year old kid i mean just to look at a white woman some of these guys would get you these white people would get you now he's walking with one so i mean again you do the math and he obviously had a problem with that and once mike found out why he was released that's why they released him okay he actually took the woman up to Morbido's office to show him that she was actually black. Obviously, there was an argument, and it was, and basically the relationship was totally busted. Personally, if that's the way you feel about me just walking with a white woman in the first place, then we're going to have issues. But the 49ers put out an official release that said that Bob Mike, quote, wasn't good enough. It wasn't showing any improvement. This was referring to him as a player. Lies. Then there was Bob Mann. And can someone explain to me how a guy can lead the NFL in receiving yards, be second in the league in receptions, and then, then eventually be told he was too small? Well, Bob Mann was a receiver for the Detroit Lions from 48 and 49, the exact same time period. In 49, he led the NFL with 1,014 receiving yards and was second with 66 catches. Keep in mind, you know, this isn't 2022, okay? Everybody wasn't catching 100 uh, balls. 66 catches you know people do that what in the first six weeks <laughs> six seven weeks but in spite of this the detroit lions asked him to take a 1500 pay cut from his 7500 salary that would have put him only two thousand above the league minimum does that make any sense to anybody else i didn't think so bob was not going bob is not taking a pay cut and the Lions' explanation of why they asked man to take the cut was partly true because the merger with you know the NFL and the AAFC, a lot of players were going to have to take some kind of a pay cut. But the problem is that what he was being paid was, quote, not as high as that of other players, including players on the Lions roster. Bob Man was clearly one of the better players on their roster. 
He was a playmaker for the for the Lions. And what happened? They asked him to take a cut. Bob said, uh-uh. No. Bob Mann was then traded. <laughs> Why trade the league's receiving leader? Well, Bob Mann was uh, you know, only professional football player did that. He, okay. All right. Let me let me let me start over. He was also, Bob Mann was also a professional, not just a professional football player, okay? He was also a sales employee for a company called Global Brewing Company. Mann basically found himself on the wrong side of a very short-lived boycott. He was innocently, as the book describes it, included in reasons for a boycott of his own company because a black east side organization business called Business Sales Inc., by the way, started the boycott because Goble, they, they granted distributorship to two long-term white employees, basically in a white area. They wanted to see somebody black that, you know, would be the, the, the main distributors for that neighborhood, not to, you know, Caucasian gentlemen. They didn't want that. Somebody lied and said that the man, that the Bob man was involved with Business Sales Inc. and the boycott of his own company. Goal Brewing Company's president was also the president of the Detroit Lions, Edwin Anderson. So, guess you know what happened. Not only was made a man traded from Detroit, but he was fired from Goble. Uh, Bob Mike would finish his career uh, with the Calgary, Calgary Stampeders of the CFL from 52 to 53 after being released by the 49ers. Bob Mann ended up with the New York Yankees and was released after playing three total minutes in exhibition games. What was their explanation? Ah, he's too small. Are you serious? Are you serious? The lies. Oh my God, the deceit. Uh, but man, we'll move on to the Green Bay Packers uh, and he led the team in receiving in 1951 and was a second team all pro that year. And he was second in receiving in his final two years before he went on and retired. It makes me wonder just how much more significant their careers would have been had they got to stick around. They clearly could play, but because of racial bias, their careers were cut short. <sighs> Coming up next, there are plenty of success stories, though. For every Bob Mike and Bob Band, there are plenty of them. And yes, some of them actually end up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Okay, so I 
really don't see this as a coincidence, but every show uh, that we've talked about has been repeat teams and multiple players, right? First week, it was the Rams. The next week, it was the Browns. Last week, it was the Rams and the Giants for the most part. I have to remind you, though, of the unwritten rule that Hall of Fame uh, San Diego Chargers offensive lineman Ron Mix had talked about. And it was basically centered around a quota that the league wanted to meet. And that was, um, that time, Mix was talking about NFL teams. According to him, uh, they will employ about five players per team. Well, then there's Jim Brown, you know, the Hall of Famer from the Cleveland Browns. He basically said the same thing. Mix is white. Brown is black. Mix played a majority of his career in the AFL, which was a lot more welcoming to black players, while Brown played, of course, with the Cleveland Browns in the NFL. What am I saying? At least both leagues, they had something going on. Let me explain. So you have that quota, right? Now, although the L.A. Rams had as many as, what, five players we talked about last week on his roster in 1950. If you listen to what Jim Brown had to say about Cleveland, most teams carried an even number of players. I thought that was fascinating, but it made sense. Two, four, six. Why? Roommates. Go back to Washington and Strode. Now, Washington, they wanted Kenny Washington because Washington, being in L.A., was a local hero and star, you know, with UCLA, and they wanted him. He was going to put butts in seats. Strode, although he was another one of those players that was, uh, he was really good with UCLA and a, and a name that was that was out there because what UCLA had four African Americans on their roster, and Strode was one of those starters. Of course, it was Jackie Robinson, and of course, Kenny Washington that were the stars. They knew those names, but they didn't want Strode. Why? Because Strode was married to a Hawaiian woman. They had a problem. Dan Reeves, the owner of the Rams, had a problem with Strode being married, with the interracial marriage. Let's just say it like that. But Washington, they asked Washington, okay, you're going to sign? And they pretty much gave him what he wanted, money, as well as his request for the roommate, which was Strode. They didn't want Strode, but they gave it to him. Strode, what, sat on the bench a majority of his career with the Rams. Only played that one year in 1946, and he got paid. He got his $350 a game and said, okay, no problem. You know, although he had a problem with that. He obviously did. Um, but roommates, why? Because you have to travel, and there are hotels that you have to be in. And they weren't trying to brown explain this. They didn't put white and blacks together. They didn't do it. They weren't staying in the same room if they housed them at all. But you had to have two by two. That There were some concessions made um, to where a single man had to stay you know, by himself. They would have one guy if he was an odd number. But most of the time, they brought him in two by two. They did. Same thing happened with the Cleveland Browns. Mary Miley and Bill Willis, they ended up being the two black guys on the team. Of course, they would bring in more. But they started off with two roommates, all right? And then also he talked about stacking. They stacked at different positions. They was not going to have two black starting receivers, for instance. They would stack everybody at flanker. They weren't going to have a flanker and a split in. Football guys know what I'm talking about. But they stacked at different positions. Um, it, it's, it's, it's there, and there's proof of it. Uh, but whatever the case... 
there are plenty of these African-Americans that could play, but they weren't all getting those same opportunities. But then there was plenty of them that did and they had staying power. There was those who lasted a very long time in the league. And to the papers, I go. Joe the Jet Perry. Perry was a running back for the San Francisco 49ers for 14 years of his 16-year NFL career. A long time. And he was great. He was actually the first black player to be on the 49ers. Of course, the second one was Bob Mike. Uh, his... <laughs> can two careers go any differently right um he was the first the first black player in 49ers history um and he was a part of what's what was called the million dollar backfield that was ya tittle quarterback uh halfbacks uh and back halfback hugh mclehaney and fullback john henry johnson as well as joe perry all four of these men ended up in the pro football hall of fame but before all of that when he he, he had a dream to go to UCLA, but he was rejected by UCLA. So what did he do? He ended up going to junior, doing the JUCO route. He went to J Compton Junior College. He then, after playing so well, was being recruited by UCLA. He said, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go play for the Naval Air Station in Alameda. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> and he did it. He did it. Um, and he ended up being scouted by the Rams of the NFL, uh, and obviously the San Francisco 49ers were looking at him too of the AAFC and ended up signing with San Francisco instead um, and going forward his career I mean, it just took off from there he ended up leading the AAFC in rushing yards in 48 and 49 and in 49 he actually was a second team all pro but then came 1952 not only was, there a pro, was he a pro bowler in 1953, he became the first black player to not only rush for a thousand yards, he was a first team all pro and he finished third in MVP voting in the league. That's great. Well, he had something better up his sleeve in 54. He became the first black player uh, to not, well, first player, black or white, to rush for a thousand yards back to back seasons. And then on top of that, the first African American to win NFL MVP. How about that? In 63, he finally retired as the NFL's all-time leading rusher. And by 1969, he was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And speaking of 1954, that season, I looked at it as far as rushing yards, the top five rushing yard leaders, they were all African-American. Joe Perry of the 49ers, John Henry Johnson of the 49ers, Tank Younger of the Rams, I believe it was uh, with the Rams. Yeah, Dan Tal uh, actually Dan Taller of the Rams and then Mo Bassett of the Cleveland Browns. And speaking of John Henry Johnson, uh, that was his rookie year in 1954. He was second in NFL in rushing yards during his rookie year. Um, and he was a pro bowler and he actually finished second as far as rookie of the year goes. In his career, he did get elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1987, as we said earlier, in that million-dollar backfield. He was a four-time Pro Bowler, um, and three of those Pro Bowls came with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he played six years. Uh, he played six years with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he was the second pick of Pittsburgh in the '53 draft. 
but he decided to go to the CFL instead because they was going to pay him more money. That's pretty interesting, right? Um, go where the money is, man. You got to provide, right? Uh, but then when he ended up in the NFL, you know, he was playing with the 49ers, but then he ended up uh, traded to the Detroit Lions in 1957. I think the 57 Lions, they won the NFL championship, right? By 1960, he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers for those six years and became the first Steeler to rush 4,000 yards, and he did that twice. And in his 13th and final season, he ended up in the AFL with the Houston uh, the Houston Oilers in 1966. I mean, how's that for a career? I mean, you don't see that happen. Um, I mean, he had a very long career, 13 years, uh, 16 years for Joe Perry. You know, that, that's the longevity that a lot of these African-Americans before them should have had. And then I'm going to end with this guy. Who's ever heard of Dick Lane? Okay, Night Train Lane. All right, we got one in the back. So this past NFL season, Cowboys cornerback Trayvon Diggs had 11 interceptions, right? 11 picks. And the man's record that he was actually threatening but never could pass was Night Train Lane. Lane actually played a year of JUCO football for Scotts Bluff in Nebraska. And then he served four years in the Army before trying out for the L.A. Rams. And at the time, he was actually working for an aircraft factory and went by the Rams' offices and said, hey, you know, I'd like to try out. And he did. He was invited to training camp and was playing receiver at the time alongside two Pro Football Hall of Fame guys, Crazy Legs, Elroy, Crazy Legs, Hirsch, and Tom Fears. Yeah. Apparently, I mean, that wasn't the position that was going to work out for him. And he ended up switching over to defensive back. And this is a 6'2", 210-time. 210 pound monster um he made the team basically of how ferocious he was as a tackler all right but that was not all he was able to do clearly now he may not have been a great receiver but he sure knew how to rob a quarterback he did 1952 his rookie season he set an nfl record with 14 interceptions and led the league with 298 yards in interception returns and he scored two touchdowns he did this in 12 games by the way how did you not you know i think this was another one of those situations where he was not like an all pro yeah i'm right he wasn't an all pro same thing with emlin tunnel his first year he leads the league with like nine or ten interceptions and has 200 yards you know it's like a college football uh, a, a Devontae Smith Alabama game in the national championship and you get nothing for it. <laughs> I don't understand that one. But okay, no problem. Uh, but he, he had all those interceptions and yards and all that. He, he ended up only playing two years with the Rams. He was traded to the Chicago Cardinals in 54. Again, he led the league with 10 interceptions. Amazingly enough, he didn't make any all-pro team, like I said, his rookie year. Please explain that to me. But in six seasons with the Cardinals, he was a four-time Pro Bowl. A first-team All-Pro in 1956. He made the second team twice as an All-Pro. And he spent the last six seasons with the Detroit Lions from 1960 to 1965. Uh, four more Pro Bowls. Two more first-team All-Pro selections. And one second team. I guess that all made up for that rookie year, right? <laughs> but by the time his 14-year career ended... 
He would finish second to only, yep, we just mentioned his name, Emlyn Tunnel of the New York Giants in career interceptions and return yardage. He had 68 career picks and 1,207 yards, five interceptions returned for a touchdown. He actually became the first black man to work in the Detroit Lions front office, and he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1974. So, I mean, it's, it's so many players that missed out, and, and, and you makes you makes you wonder just how many more stories this, that could have been like this had there not been so much racial bias. But I'm not done. There's so many more players I'm going to touch on in next week's episode. And all I got to say is, George Preston Marshall, I'm coming for you, and I'm glad you did the right thing, even though you were forced to. All right, this has. Uh, well, I can't say that yet. <laughs> we got to close the show out. References first. References. References. Where'd I get my information from? Thanks to fansided.com. And this is via ninernoise.com, written by Safa Shoestreet. All right. Uh, the, the article is called Black History Month. Joe the Jet Perry, 49ers' first black player. Couple of more websites Steelers.com, the focus on John Henry Johnson. ProFootballReference.com, ProFootballHallOfFame.com, two books, A Hard Road to Glory. Very good book. Very good referenced book. The African-American Athlete in Football. That was written by none other than Arthur Ashe Jr. And also Outside the Lines, my new book, African-Americans and the Integration of the National Football League, written by Charles K. Ross. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr., Presented by Belly Up Sports. The Belly Up Sports Podcast Network is where it's at. BellyUpSports.com is where you need to go. Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube. You can find all of our shows on that. Mine's not on YouTube yet. I still lack the camera. Um, You know what? Enough with the excuses, right? (laughs) Tell all your friends and family about this show or I'll find your house. I'm out. Start a journey, not a fad. Kick off your fitness journey with up to $500 off Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, or Tread packages. Choose the package that will take your training to the next level with accessories like our cycling shoes, heart rate band, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. Join now and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes Bike, Bike Plus, and Tread Basics. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.